0: Today sees the return of our Stable Mate podcast, Security Bytes. Hosted by Jim Tiller, our group CISO, he talks to security experts from across the industry, bringing you the latest in cyber. You know the potential damage this could cause. And I think having that information available to you, is can be a bit frightening. I'd hate to be a young person getting into cyber now and dumped in with all that responsibility without fundamentally the 20 odd years of training we've both got behind us.
1: Welcome to Security Bytes. A show where we're joined by industry leading cybersecurity expert to discuss today's pressing business and technical challenges of security. Join me, your host, Jim Tiller, brought to you by and powered by Nash Square. Let's get started. All right, I'm very excited about my next guest today. My guest has been a leader in the technology space for over two decades. He has assisted organizations of all shapes and sizes in defining and implementing enterprise class IT strategies that target enabling the business on a global level. He was responsible for infrastructure and architecture for organizations such as Enristu, I think is the correct pronunciation, Mercedes-Benz and TT Electronics, and led the development of security solutions for clients through years of providing executive level advisory services. He is the co-founder of the SSE Forum, a group of dedicated uh, folks collaborating in, on the development of service—or excuse me—security service edge architectures, and is also the co-host of the SSE's podcast called The Edge. As a member of the Zero Trust Training Expert Group, a part of the Cloud Security Alliance, he's very much involved in what I like to call the Zero Trust movement. It really, is kind of the second big movement of security in my mind and is a great resource for a better understanding of the future of zero trust and what it means for companies around the world. Currently, he's the Director of Strategy and the Field CTO Services for Access Security. I give you Jay Tilson. How are you doing, Jay?
0: I'm good. (laughs) That was a very good introduction. I loved it. Um, It's actually Anritsu, which is difficult to pronounce. It's... It's a Japanese company, so I worked there for quite a lot mm-hmm. of time to live in Japan. But yeah, it, it's a, it's a difficult one. But thank you for that. I'm I'm very happy to be here. It's great to talk to you.
1: I am super happy to have you on. And in full disclosure, uh, Jay and I were introduced by a third party, and uh, he asked me if I would come on his podcast, which I was like, I was really blown away by that. So I got to get on his podcast. And in our interactions, I was like, Oh my god, I've got to have you on mine. <laughs> so in full disclosure we're just sort of podcasting back and forth here a little bit which is uh, i think is really really fun by the way but i i you know you and i just hit it off immediately and i thought man this guy's got so much great stuff to share and uh, there's a lot i'd really like to talk to you about so let me kind of give everybody a quick summary is one of the things that you brought up was around and i'll just generally characterizes the mental health in cybersecurity, right? So I definitely want to talk about that. But I think an area where you have an enormous amount of expertise, a lot of experience, and some very interesting views um, is around what does it mean to grow up in IT and get into cybersecurity, as in kind of you know, old school guys like us that grew up into cybersecurity as opposed to people now trying to get into it kind of thing. And of course, you know, let's be honest, the conversation with you without talking about you know, threats and then ultimately zero trust a little bit would be a miss. But I, but you talk about zero trust all the time. So if you're interested in zero trust for the audience, you have to check out The Edge. Um, really, really great stuff there. Obviously, a lot happening in that space and among other sort of episodes that cover all things types of security and IT, not just zero trust, but there's really, really good stuff up there. But I think uh, I like the idea of really kind of getting for everybody to get to know you and getting to know kind of your your opinions on. What's happening in the cybersecurity space? Also, the threats, and if we have time, I I want to ask you the big question. Tell me what zero trust is, right? I want to know from the master, right? So, um, so let's just kick it off, man. I think, uh, I guess, for starters, is let's t- touch on a little bit around mental health and cybersecurity. What are you how? What is your core feeling around that? Do you feel like it's a problem? It's a developing problem, or is it something that's been around and we just haven't addressed it well? Talk to me about that.
0: Oh wow, I mean, I could talk to you about mental health for, for a long time. I mean, we we tend to talk about it in cybersecurity, but I don't I don't think it's just in that area. Um I think it's something that is across all environments and is is our work-life balances have been thrown out of kilter, I would say, uh, uh, over the last couple of decades and i mean i don't like to think of myself of being in it or security for several decades but unfortunately i have been um it and, and i think the way we look at things in society is has changed and evolved and and we talk a little bit about evolving from it into security and stuff like that but there's a big pressure on people now i think to have things and and to have things you need to earn good money and therefore to earn good money, you need to get good careers. And and I think cyber is one of those areas where people see the dollar signs and, and whether that's true or not, we can get into maybe later, but I started my career purely by accident. And I think a lot of people did. I mean, I kind of went to university, did mathematics, computers were new. I fell into liking computers. I fell into my first job playing games and that ended up me with understanding a little bit about networking. And then I kind of fell into it. I didn't do it for the money. There there was, um, and I've never really worked for, for the money. And I think a lot of people out there, it, I, I guess when we started out in it, didn't do it for the money. Cause we didn't know there was going to be money. I think it kind of changed around the two thousands. I think people thought, Oh, there's money in this. Um,
1: But But if I may, if I may just say that is an amazing observation, I I really don't want to interrupt you, but I think it's important to understand that, you know, as we get in more into some of these other elements in the conversation, I think it's important to understand that, you know, me included, you're telling your story about how you got into games and, you know, computers. And, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, we all had like, you know, trash 60s or, you know, I mean, you know, we had different little cheap computers at the time and we did it because it was cool. and we're like wow you're gonna pay us to do this kind of thing you know and you're right it's kind of done a 180 on that sorry go ahead i just think that's a very interesting observation
0: so so to be honest we me and and john spiegel kind of started the sse forum with the aim of trying to help people and debunk a bit of stuff and then we we went down the zero trust path which we'll get onto in a minute and then we found people coming on our podcast wanted to talk about mental health and i i I don't want to generalize um but men particularly are, are bad with mental health and We don't talk about it with our friends. We don't talk about it with our family. We're supposedly supposed to be the strong ones and and the rock and all of those things. And I know I'm generalizing, but let's generalize for a while. And I think the struggles of trying to provide for all these additional things that people expect nowadays, all these material things, puts pressure on people. And if you add that pressure to a job that's quite stressful, we see there being ransomware attacks. We, we see companies in the news daily. And and funnily enough, I was, I was in London yesterday for an event and I was sat in a coffee shop and I was looking on LinkedIn and I was looking out the window and I was every single post on LinkedIn was compromise here, compromise there, layoffs here, layoffs there, struggles. There was, there was quite a lot of negativity and, and it started me thinking firstly, Do we cause our own problems by being quite negative about all these things, by posting things about all these attacks? And secondly, the thing that really intrigued me was looking out of the window, how many people out there walking around that don't work in IT or don't work in security or don't work in cyber have any knowledge about what we think is going on in the world, but equally any concern about it? Because if you don't know about it, you can't be concerned about it. Whereas I get a little bit... Nervous in regards to my family or my friends getting um, phishing emails or text messages. It worries me because I'm aware of the damage that can be done by those things. They're not aware. They're oblivious. It doesn't stress them. It doesn't concern them. It doesn't fill them with anxiety. Whereas for me, it does. And if you are responsible in a job, in a cyber role where you're responsible for, 5,000 users, 10,000 users, 20,000 users, whatever it might be. You've got that in the back of your mind. And you've also got, I think this concern that one mistake and you're out. You're, you're, you could be on the chopping block. You could be gone. Now I didn't have that concern at the early days of my career because we were all making mistakes every day because we had no idea what we were doing. Things were new. Like, we, we were allowed to make those mistakes because we were inventing or putting the wheels on the car as it was already driving along. So, so we were allowed to make mistakes. I think there's a thing where people are concerned about making mistakes because that single mistake you make and you let in that one threat, you're in serious trouble. And maybe your career is, I wouldn't say over, but because we live in a society where everything is visible on social media, Snapchat, Instagram, all of that. We, we know that when we look for a job, people are going to look at that social media. So we know teachers in the UK get difficulty having jobs if they're seen on Drunken Nights Out on Facebook, for instance, stuff like that. So if somebody publishes X company has been compromised and you happen to be the CISO or the something at X company what's the knock-on effect of that going to be when somebody looks at your resume, sees where you've worked and then realises they were compromised. Like for me, that adds to that stress. and, And the pandemic didn't help. It certainly didn't help me. I've spent most of my life traveling the world for work and I enjoyed it. And then suddenly I'm sat at home for two and a half years, lack of exercise, not eating great food not very, not being particularly motivated. Um, people put on weight, people stopped exercising, some people went drastically the other way and exercise maybe too much. And I think we're at a position in the world now where the world's changed. We've got this kind of hybrid workforce. We've got all these cyber attacks, we've got everything that's going on. And I think people just are a bit unstable and that kind of instability and, and lack of direction makes people anxious i think and i think that's i've said an awful lot of words there um oh yeah
1: but no i mean it it's amazing because you really bring up a lot of points that i think i think i'd like to explore these a little bit more deeply but i I would ask you is as you're talking just so much is flooding through my mind right everything from just acknowledging that everybody has challenges everybody has problems you know and i think the more that we can recognize and acknowledge that people are all all people are struggling in some way shape or form and realizing that the environment is getting much more complex your point and you know of course covid just threw a wrench in everything i i couldn't help but think is you think back through the history of mankind let's just say recent history 1900s and i think of things like world war 1 or world war 2 kind of thing and, you know, all the little wars in between, and where, you know, just true devastation and and these kinds of things. There's something about the lack of physicality, you know, everything from the real obvious of being locked in your home and not able to interact physically with other people. I mean, think about we're social creatures, right? All the way through to that, we're living in such a digitized world. And as humans, our brains are just not moving quick enough in our development to keep up with how fast things are kind of changing in security. So it gets, for me, I think it just gets scarier and scarier and scarier. And then when you know a lot, like when you really know what's going on behind the scenes, like and a lot of people do now, there was a time in our day where, you know, really understanding threats was you had to be, you know, digging hard. Now this information is right in your face. Like you said, yeah. you know, you see it on the news all the time. You know, anyone can say ignorance is bliss. People don't know, don't don't you know, fear it necessarily. But that is, I mean, there's aren't people out there that really know what's going on. It's like really, frankly, acknowledging just how fragile everything is getting, and um, in the introduction of all these types of technologies that are having an effect on our ability as humans to really kind of we start to question things we would have never questioned before. Right? I mean, uh, whether it be everything from G- chat, you know, GPT all the way to you know uh yeah, other types of mechanisms to mimic human human behaviors and view i just I, I guess as you can tell my brain's going in a thousand different directions right now but i think my question boils down to this where i started off was is do you feel that the sort of the race to digitization has created this obfuscation layer between the person and sort of coming to grips with all the things that are happening. Do you think just that aspect of becoming highly more digitized in our daily lives packed on top of being held at home for two years? Do you think that sparked and like really pushed the, the pushed the knob up on mental health concerns?
0: That's a, that's a really good question. I mean, we certainly talk about mental health a lot more now than we did. Hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't there. Mm. Maybe, and mm. I don't know how to, we'll never know that now because it is it is a topic that two people our age that have been in the industry as long as we have can now talk about it. Five years ago, we probably wouldn't have. And mm-hmm. I talk about it on my podcast. You talk about it on yours. I, I see posts about it on LinkedIn. It's now a topic that, is beginning to be talked about. I'd like to go back 25, 50 years, 75 years, 100 years and see if it was any different and it was just hidden, like I kind of alluded to before. Men are supposed to be the strong ones and we, societally we don't talk about our problems. It's very rare, but that doesn't mean to say the problems haven't been there for as long as human beings have. Um, is the speed in which things are changing they've probably made it easier to talk about these problems but I don't necessarily think they've made the problems any worse because we've been evolving anyway yes there's been a huge shift in technology since the pandemic some positive some negative Um, obviously there's all this talk about economic climate and recession but it's not the first time i mean we we've had these before is it any different now I, I don't know um i've certainly been around people in my career that could have probably been helped by being able to talk about the way they were feeling in the stresses and the anxiety that they had and they couldn't so my my own experience says that it's not particularly any more difficult now than it was. I think we just have avenues to talk about it. And I'm going to say something that's really controversial. Um, people like labels now. There's so many labels. There's You can be on a spectrum for this label or a spectrum for that label. Now, that's not to say those things aren't real because they are real. But there's an awful lot going on in the world where I think there's pretty much like I need to be included, so therefore I'm gonna need a label. And that is very, very controversial. Um But I think because things are now easier to talk about, it's almost like you have to talk about it. And and like pretty much everyone I know in the US has a, a shrink they go to. Um <laughs> and I don't know, maybe maybe that's just <clears throat> the the way I see it, but you see on the, on TV shows and maybe it is just TV shows. um, But everyone's going to go and talk about their problems. Really, we should be able to talk about our problems because for me, talking about problems and getting advice from people and friends and family and, and people like you that I've just met for me, helps me get through life. Um, Also exercise does eating right. Sleeping does, but a lot of those things are difficult to do without one or the other. We can, if, if we're stressing and anxious, sleeping is going to come difficult. If you need more sleep, not should be anxious. What well, doesn't work? You can't just suddenly lie in bed and go to sleep. You might not want to go and do exercise if you don't feel motivated. You may eat more because you're stressed, or you might eat nothing because you're stressed, and therefore trying to get all of those things in balance is very, very difficult. The mind is very, very powerful. Um, it's, a, it's extraordinarily a, powerful. Yeah, and yeah. it can do an awful lot of really good things. But if you happen to get into a downward place it c- it can take you in really in the wrong direction and mm-hmm. for me it's it's about having that balance and I know we've digressed a little bit from your question um, but the answer is i I don't really know if it's any worse now or whether we can just talk about it now, which is definitely a positive to be able to have these conversations is great
1: i I've got a couple thoughts um so first and foremost, I want to say is that i'm i think you know having professional access to mental health, you know, mental health is is 100%. But I think something you said, I think is critically important is the willingness to share and being, having a safe environment with your friends. Because I think there's a daily component of support that people need going once a month, once a week, whatever to a, to a professional, you know, is good if you need that. But sometimes people just need to know that they can share things without being, you know, and so I think that is that to your point, I think that's improving. Right. But let me let me start. Let me go back to my question, but add a new dynamic to it to see if you see where I was kind of coming from, and maybe this gets this more kind of closer to like what it means in cyber. I guess what I'm saying is, is that for me, I've, I've I've seen it, but maybe I didn't recognize it. You know, being the tough guy kind of thing, right? But for me, I was working at a company where we dealt specifically just with incidents, and and they at the time they were all ransomware. So I'm on you know phone calls with organizations where you know people are crying you know, and the a lot of the team were young you know young men and women that were doing this you know fresh out of college wanting to get into the security industry, you know and had reached a point where they were becoming good incident responders I mean very good right and then uh, helping customers you know organizations through these things, and I was just I realized it hit me like a like a freight train is because of technology. People are able to enter the space and then go from being, you know, a 20 year old college student to being on the phone with a billion dollar company with people like screaming and crying. And, and I'm like, that would have never happened because you, the technology gave you the means to be exposed to that. Right. And the whole concept of cyberbullying, you know, I mean, back in our day when, you know, if there was a bully, there was a fight, you know, there was a yep. contact. Now you don't even have that option you just have to have this huge think about cyberbullying within the context of cyber peer pressure and try to even i couldn't even fathom that when i was 16 years old in high school kind of thing right so I, i think that's what i was saying is technology i think is i don't think i think people are able to talk about it more i do believe that humans are humans no matter how far back you go that you know we're complex creatures and we have emotions whether we think you know people in the 1600s did and i can assure you they did right but I think technology has exposed us as a global social community in ways that I'm not sure we were entirely prepared for. The internet just kind of dumped us all together, you know, just a couple of decades ago, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think you raise a really good point there. When I started my career, I started off on a help desk answering phone calls. I never had access to any systems. I was never responsible for the real difficult stuff. I, I was like level one support. And then as you got a bit more skilled, you became level two support and then level three support. And then you might become an administrator for the Linux boxes or for the odd system. By the time you actually got to be able to make significant changes to, to systems, you were trained. You'd gone through years of first, second and third line support or you'd been on training courses and all of that stuff. Therefore, if something did go wrong and things did, it's IT, things go wrong. You, you, you felt comfortable in your own ability. You were comfortable that you could get in and and, and get stuck in and do those things because you kind of evolved with it. You, you it, it was, it grew around you and with you, and therefore you were more aware of what was going on. You raised the point of twenty somethings getting into cyber now and then suddenly being responsible for for multi million dollar deals and and companies. I would have found that frightening as a as a. I mean, I was very young, even when I came out of university, like 22, 23, I look back on myself and think, oh, you were young because I'd never <laughs> been exposed to the world as it is today. There was no internet, there was no social media, there was news on the TV, but it was, you didn't know what was going on all over the world. You didn't know all this media stuff that goes on today. So even if there was a problem on your network or a virus, for instance, you didn't know who else got the virus. You didn't know it took the whole world down. You didn't you didn't know what the threat was. You just thought, I've got a virus. I'll go and clean it off that machine or whatever. And now, everything's so interconnected and you see it, like I was saying earlier on LinkedIn, you see it go on and on and on. You know the potential damage this could cause. And I think having that information available to you does it can be a bit frightening. I, I'd hate to be a young person getting into cyber now and dumped in with all that responsibility without fundamentally the 20 odd years of training we've both got behind us and not just training, but scars ex- experience and, and scars. Yes. Yeah. I mean,
1: yeah, 20, 20 years of scars and bruises yeah, I mean, and that's how you learn, right? I mean, yeah. you only learn when you get thrown into a meat grinder and you're like, wow, I'm not going to go in there and do that meat grinder again, you know? Um And I think, if i may add to the cybersecurity component of our discussion a little bit more is i think there's this perception that it's you know easy to get into and and these kind of things because more now than ever i'm i'm always absolutely taken aback by the level degree sophistication quality of things that i struggle to build and develop you know just for myself like threat intelligence Training and education, you know, I mean, the biggest thing I had to fall back on at one point was like, I would just build my own Linux kernel, you know, just to like keep keep on the edge, right? And, and now that's a joke, you know, nobody thinks in that terms. So the the tools and the technology is so advanced, I remember building my me along with a couple colleagues, and this is back in the 90s, we built Linux distributions, and we would compile and get hacker tools working. It was so hard, they didn't come with instructions, they didn't come pre installed, they weren't like nice little packages, you know, no RPMs kind of thing. And we had to build and compile that, and then we distributed that amongst the security team, you know. And now you have access to so much, and it's like, oh, okay, well, I can learn to do this, this, and this, but you don't have the scars and bruises of what it means to be in a situation where you're about to hit click on something yeah. or you're about to say something that's going to have massive repercussions and i think a lot of people in cyber and a lot of people in it and a lot of people in businesses overall but especially in the it space people at a younger age are are in situations where there's an exorbitant amount more risk and and they're having to realize that at a very young point in their career and they're not they haven't been given the option of you said something very early i want to also touch on you're really dropping a lot of great (laughs) things here man no big surprise you know (laughs) is that the, you were allowed to fail in the early days. I broke more computers than you can swing a stick at. I brought down networks like, oh my god, I would build networks and like, see how great this is, and everybody like, okay, you know, you know, this is when sneaker net was the hottest thing, and then all of a sudden the network would go down, and it was it was kind of okay because well, you know, there's you know there's Jim's network failing again kind of thing, right? Yeah, I mean, I
0: I mean. There were so many systems. I mean, I'm going to tell you a funny story. I mean, I, in my first job, obviously, I, I worked playing games, Quake specifically. Um, so in my second job, quite a serious job, uh, I, I was the second employee in the IT team and there was an IT manager and it was a pretty poor network and we had very few computers on the network. So it didn't matter if the network went down, it affected like five people out of 200. It was back when everyone was still doing everything on paper. Then we brought in an ERP system. And the cool thing was that ERP system had so much processing power. It ran the Quake server that we ran on it really, really well. Brilliantly, in fact. So obviously the IT team were networked up to the ERP system and the Quake server ran brilliantly. Uh, apart from now and again, it would crash the ERP system. Most of the time, people would come knocking on the door and say, the Quake server's down. Not the ERP system's <laughs> now. Not you've taken That's down- awesome. The global ERP system, you need to reboot it, but your Quake server's down. So that just goes to show it didn't matter. There was no email there. There was a file server that was a desktop machine under someone's desk. So if if it crashed and it went down, it could be days before anyone even said, oh, the file server's off. We haven't been able to print for a couple of days. There was no real pressure. Now, You're not just worrying about email in your file server. You've got databases. You've got cloud stuff. Not only like you've got multiple clouds, multiple applications, multiple connectivity problems. You've got firewalls. You've got routers. You've got global networks. You've got MPLS and SD-WAN. You've got it's evolved to if something goes down. Unfortunately, Microsoft went down recently and caused some major problems back in the day. That wouldn't have been a big deal. People would have just took a pen in their paper and carried on with the fax machine like they always had. And I think Mm. that's why people feel the pressure more, because everything relies on technology. And and part of the conversation I had the other day at this event was IT is now the business. Name a business that would work without your IT team, whereas before... Mm. IT team was a cost center, it cost a bit of extra money, and it may have made the company a little bit more efficient. There's very, very few businesses out there, no matter what industry they're in now, that would survive if you just took all the IT out. In fact, they would probably die within a few hours. And that's the problem. If you get hit by a ransomware attack or something like that, you could be losing hundreds of thousands of dollars an hour, millions of dollars an hour you've got your security and your IT team under that pressure of saving that business, because that's what it comes down to now. Yeah. They could go out of business and we've had companies we, we both know over the last few years that have actually gone out of business because mm. maybe a ransomware attack or something's happened to their systems and they've not been able to recover.
1: Yeah. And there's no way to come back. And, and that brings up a couple of interesting points is one, So first I'm going to say is I remember a report, and I think it was 2005, where it said by 2020 that your average child, like I think they said from 8 to 10 years old, will see more death and destruction and stuff like that than people who are of sort of the World War II generation, right? And you think, whoa, because of TV and exposure, the internet, all this kind of stuff. Um, And I, I dare I say, I think we may have exceeded that. The other thing I would say is your point about IT is I go back to what I think is really happening as well within this context of our discussion is this digitization and you have companies that, you know, make furniture, make rope, uh, pet food. Uh, I was in, I vividly remember being in, uh, Central America, Guatemala, working with a company and, you know, you'd walk in and they were, it was very mechanical, and this, we were going through this whole sort of optimization using, you know, this fandangled computer system. And I thought to myself, man, if this thing tips over, that's it. You're not making pet food anymore, right? And now that's an absolute reality. But it's still happening. Small business it's very, very difficult to find an organization that can continue to support their employees and their customers and the development of their product or continuation of the product without a, without a processor. I mean, I remember visiting a car manufacturer over in Europe. And they had essentially a virus, you know, kind of old school, and it was a long time ago, but all the torque wrenches and all the d- utilities they used to actually construct a car were computer controlled for torque purposes. Yeah. So from the, we had to figure out when the, when they had a computer problem because it inherently messed with the torque setting. Yeah. So every single bolt had to be traced back to where it was, to what car and re you know, uh, because of a computer problem. Now I'm sure they're past all that kind of stuff now, but the the net, net of it is is I think you're, you're dead spot on is the pressure. And if I may add my third point is when you and I were doing this and we were you know cutting our teeth, when you had a box, it was in the it was under your desk, it was in the data center, it was in an IDF, it was somewhere, right? You could touch it, data center, whatever. If you had to, you can go and lock it. And changes to that system were kind of under your control or the team's control, yep. right? Now we have apps and plugins and APIs and cloud and and this whole sort of IT ecosystem just so my browser works, right? And so now you're like, I think that takes the young cybersecurity person the people, even with, I say young, I mean, people could be in it five, six, seven, eight, nine years and still experience this feeling of hopelessness because there's just so many moving parts. How can I possibly defend? I mean, it was bad enough trying to defend the internet, you know, just the internet alone, right? was bad enough. Now you have all these applications and systems, what I like to call that sort of complexity and obscurity of, of the IT world as we understand it. Um, And I think as people get further and further into their career in cyber, I think we're seeing a lot of people drop off because this realization that you had this pressure of the job you have, you got into security because maybe, maybe it's technical or you dug it or you liked it or you felt like you were making a difference. You like fighting the bad guys, whatever reason you got into it for. And then you realize, man, this is overwhelming. It's coming at me from every direction. I don't have a lot of power to do something about it. You know? Um, And just as a quick point, a survey came out uh, about mid, mid last year is quite large. And there were a couple points in the survey of security professionals, about 6,000 of them globally across 17 countries. And not only did like, I think it was like 24% of the respondents said that they're getting out of the security space and within like the next two years or no, 26, we're going to get out of it. But a large percentage of that 24 of that 20, 24% of the 26 total percent. said they're going to get out within the next year. And of the people, the average duration in security was like six to nine years. So yeah. these are people who got in and they're like, I'm out. And and I started crunching the numbers, and I'm like, well, we have a essentially one could argue a skills gap. There's more seats than people to fill them. But I think people are dropping out of security too. I think this is like this unwritten thing over here. And I think it all comes back to where we started. I think it's that mental the stress of it all, and, it, and it's not unique to cyber, but it, cyber does have a element there.
0: I think the simple statement is there are far more systems than we ever supported in our day, and there's far more reliance on those systems. So not only do you have millions more systems all over the globe, but like you've said, they're not in your data center, but there's now a massive reliance on every bit of technology. I mean, go to a supermarket, you probably pay on your phone. You buy Mm -hmm. your train ticket, you probably pay on your phone. You check your train ticket on your phone. You check cinema times on your phone. You check restaurant menus online. Everything that the younger generation are doing involves technology. So if something like Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook goes down, it affects hundreds of millions of people back in our day. I just went and rebooted the fax machine and sent a fax. I mean, it was it's just and that that brings that stress level to the job because you know that one little mistake is not just going to affect just that small group of people in finance or I mean, I remember the, the modems going down. People used to dial into a Shiva box. We had a Shiva box. People would dial in from home, the sales team mm. at night mm. and upload to the CRM. It could go down for days and you might get the phone call a couple of days later and they would go "The Shiva box is broken. Can you reboot it again? Oh, how long has it been broken? Oh, about a week. Nobody mm-hmm. it just didn't matter. Can you imagine now if like Salesforce went down? It
1: yeah, your word would stop.
0: Done. Like just
1: done. over. Yeah, I remember uh, setting up large, I don't know if you remember Cubics, yeah, but uh, kind of remote PCs kind of thing. And <laughs> I remember this company had stacks and stacks of them, and if the, if the uh, essentially an ISDN bridge for telephone lines, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get into it. But if it went down, we just walked in and flipped the switch off and back on, just yeah. like, you know, you think about it. But, you know, I, I do remember, I mean, I don't want to paint a total picture. There was a phase there in the late 90s, early 2000s where, you know, Maybe, maybe more so the post-internet bubble, but where technology became increasingly important, people were more aware of it, which leads me to the question or the comment for you is, you mentioned about things being up all the time. There were times when businesses could run. I would almost say today that the because of things you can check on your phone, because everything's so digitized, that um, there are people... I mean, maybe it doesn't affect folks like myself or you perhaps, and maybe it doesn't affect all young people or whatever. But, you know, if your phone breaks, I mean, or your internet goes down to your house, you're just like, you're lost, right? You can't function, you know? Um, and I think that, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, right? It's just people grew up with the digital yeah. world the way it is, and that's part of their life now. Just like, you know, in our day, if my car ran out of gas, it was the end of the world kind of thing, right? So, um, I think that element adds a stress as well, because when things go down, it's not just the fact that you've affected the business, but people have a visceral reaction when their phone doesn't work, or they have a visceral reaction when they can't access something they need to access. Um, And of course, when you get into security, like you want to introduce a security control on people's phones, people see phones as a very personal thing, like super personal, And you're like, well, wait a second, you can access all my data, my applications via your phone, you know, so you have this almost weird thing. So cyber people in sort of the op space are being forced to sort of monitor phone systems and whatever, pick your poison. You know, I I think there's this element of, you know, I wouldn't want that on my phone. (laughs) You know, this sort of, this juxtaposition of policing the internet for your company and the realities of the importance of free digital life. And I think that actually adds another bit of stress to the whole thing, right? Yeah. It's just, this... I mean,
0: the IT team always, always was the kind of team that said no. And I think the security team came along and was even worse. Um. And, and that's when you're working somewhere and you work in IT or security and, and you've got that kind of, people expect you to always be the blocker or the people that say no, then the relationships are already hard, Mm. right? You're already going in. I mean, working on a, a support desk, you only ever had people complaining because they had a problem, right? No one ever phoned up the support desk and went, you did a great job today. Thank you. You were only ever dealing with people that had issues, things were broken. And as I said before, didn't really matter back in the day. People were quite relaxed about it. It didn't really cause them any problems. But then as my career progressed and you add senior salespeople not being able to close quarters because they couldn't get on the system, they're angry. They're upset. People would be swearing at me. And then it has got even worse because now their whole job is based on technology. So actually being in the firing line for all of those kind of angry and upset people and they've got a right to be angry and upset they they can't do their job so you're seen as being that blocker i think there needs to be a cultural shift where people start to understand that it and security folks are there to kind of help you and to help the business and i know that's really difficult because you're working in a support environment in a service environment but if people come at you angry all the time then then it is it wears you down right i mean that i think there was 100%. a lifespan of people working on a service desk that they could only do it for a period of time before they're like i need to do something else um and funnily enough i am going to generalize again but it people aren't necessarily the most people friendly in the world anyway right yeah, yeah um can be so then th- we need to look at security differently I mean, I remember first rolling out passwords and anyone listening to this, unless they're the same age as us, will laugh. Like, what do you mean you never had passwords? Well, we never had passwords because it didn't matter. Um, once you started making people have passwords, the amount of aggression you got in return, why do I need a password? Well, because we're protecting you and your data. But, but why? Who's going to steal it? And, and now we're talking about MFA and all that. And people, like you just said, see those things as they slow them down. They make them less efficient. And I kind of mm. get that, but, but maybe I think sometimes people need to look at the bigger picture and go, okay we're we're doing this to protect you and the business because if the business goes down, there'll be no jobs um so i
1: I want to do is is again I, I just feel like I have to comment on a couple of things you said yeah, absolutely. You're just like just you're just throwing these like knowledge grenades in the middle of the room, okay. Two quick things. The first one is I want to tell you a short story. And one of the things I run into is I feel like I'm having the same conversation throughout my entire career. And the interesting part is I remember the very first one. Um, and this is kind of playing into your point about we need to change, which will bring you to my second point. But I'll tell you the short version of the story is simply this, is I remember... Installing a router for an internet connection. I think it was in nineteen, I think it was ninety-one or ninety-two in that range. Okay, so you know, bringing in a demark and all this kind of stuff and connecting to the internet. People are like, "What's the internet?" And I'm like, "I don't know. We're gonna figure it out." You know, <laughs> and um and so I, it was a research and development firm I was working for, and. And I immediately was basically going, wow, I can do anything to anything, right? It's my first exposure, if you will, to pen testing before it kind of existed, really. And so I started learning how to do access con- what we call access control list and, you know, that kind of stuff now. And I'll never forget, like, saying, well, we only need certain ports. And back then, you know, we had, like, literally FTP colon slash slash and gopher and all that kind of stuff. And so I started shutting things. <laughs> You're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> And so I would, uh, I started shutting down ports. And some of the scientists and researchers were like, what's going on? And I got pulled in front of the CEO and just lambasted. And it was, how dare you limit our access to this vast network of knowledge and research and community? And I was like, yeah, but, and, and of course, I didn't have a good argument. It was just me being naturally, I didn't know I was being secure at the time. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. I knew I was just had, I had a, a, a Secure mindset naturally before I kind of did it as a career, and um, and I remember going, you know, this interpretation of security fundamentally is is counter to what the what computers and internet fundamentally represent is this social thing. Which brings me to my second point is really pointed question. I've asked a handful of people this, but nobody's ever given me an answer, so I'm very curious. Nobody's ever responded to it, so I, I got you trapped a little bit here. <laughs>
0: I'm scared Should, down.
1: yeah, yeah, I'm going to hit you. Should cybersecurity move beyond the responsibility of like public companies or private companies? I mean, it's there's such a social component to it, right? I mean, you said yourself, and I 1,000% is cyber is now sort of swelling to the point where we have cyber war. It's, not, it's now a domain for warfare. It's now a domain that, is challenging certain things. And the fact that computers are completely infused with everything, whether it be medical devices to communications, you name it, it's everywhere, right? I won't even get into quantum computing and blockchain and cryptocurrency, all that stuff. So do you see a time where that, you know, a particular person who's 22 years old that is now dealing with a massive ransomware attack and having to help make a decision whether we pay or not, and how do we recover? people are crying and screaming you know and it's kind of like wow you know should we be in a situation where we should explore the impacts to people and and the mental health that is related to it and kind of take a step back and say man maybe this needs to be more structured in some way because
0: yeah.
1: i don't know i'm not seeing a clear path to how we get there
0: no see see for me and and this goes back to me sitting in a in a cafe yesterday looking out the window and, and seeing all those people wander past thinking I wonder if they have any clue about cyber or what I'm thinking and I, I we we spoke recently to Chase Cunningham, ACA, Dr. Zero Trust and, and I asked him like about it and so, so my answer is we need to start educating people in schools about ransomware risk um, all all of those things like Why do you need kind of multi-factor authentication? What is it? Because people are putting it on games. Children are putting it on games. But identity theft is a big thing. Um, It's no longer just about the IT and security teams in companies trying to teach the businesses. Obviously, board of directors need to flow this kind of stuff down, but I think it needs to start even earlier than that. It, It should start, and it should be mandatory in schools. It shouldn't be you can choose to do it and security. It shouldn't be an elective kind of thing that you learn about. I'm not saying you get into all the details about pen testing and all of that, like with every student, but you should at least cover the basics of being mindful with what you publish online with your persona online. Don't put your phone number, your address and all these things that people can kind of get and use against you and be really careful. And, and, I see the younger generation knowing those elements already. Some of them already are aware of it. Obviously, like I said, when they play games, they use multi-factor authentication. They might not know what it's for, but they have to use it. But they, they, we, we need to teach people of the younger generation because it is going to take 5, 10, 15, 20 years before those people are entering the workforce. And it will be a lot easier when they enter the workforce for those IT and security teams to do their jobs because people already know not to click on that phishing email or not to go to that dodgy website or not to publish documents here, there or whatever, if, if they get taught. The real difficulty now, and funnily enough, I read an article today, it says all those phishing tests we do where we send out all those emails, nobody ever gets better the results are the same every year
1: wow. nobody's
0: learning now
1: that's terrifying
0: yeah i mean that's 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 just a test so how many people are actually really doing it and technology can help and we'll get onto the zero trust bit in a minute but technology can help prevent things but it can't do the whole job like no. this is this is, <clears throat> we are and I put on LinkedIn quite often, we're all in this fight together. And I don't just mean us as security or it people. I mean, everybody like if big companies get more and more secure, they'll just target those little companies we were talking about before, because the supply chain means if you can get in anywhere in that supply chain, you're in because everyone's trusted. So instead of hacking the company that spent a hundred million a year on security, they'll get in another way. Like the Uber got compromised recently. They never got mm-hmm. compromised in a standard attack. It was like a brute MFA attack. It's like, well, it, yeah. it, I don't want to blame humans, but we are fundamentally the ones responsible. The tools are there to help, but they're not flawless.
1: So let's. I, I want to dig into that, because one is I'm a huge proponent of education, a huge proponent of bringing children into a different thing. Um, And I've been, frankly, I've been honored and lucky enough to be involved actually with the UK around T levels and the development of T level education around cyber, which is developing, which is looking really, really interesting. Um, Now, what I would say is when I think about embracing, you know, schools and children and kind of doing that, there's a couple things that come to mind. One is. I don't necessarily want to create a society of cynical people and questioning people in some ways. Right. You know, it's like, well, I don't want to trust that. You know, I don't want to trust that, you know, and it's like, I, I, am I'm, I'm sensitive to that element, that sort of tangential characterization that you can see in some yeah. security space, very questioning. Don't get me wrong. Questioning can be very healthy. Right. But you know, I don't want to scare them to into oblivion either. And, but I also believe that we have to project, right. So for example, I believe that people are still failing at phishing because phishing is just getting better and better and better and better. And we just keep the technology is racing forward and our brains are able to just to sort of grasp it. Now, add to that things like deep fakes um, and just this whole thing now with text to speech, be able to mimic people's voices yeah. perfectly and have real time conversations. Um, you know, so I can tell you right now that if you take a, an email that you think is phishing and you go to chat G, GPT You can ask it, hey, did you write this? And it'll tell you, yeah, I wrote this. So you can take a legit looking email and say, hmm, and go ask it, did you write it? It says, yeah, I wrote it, right? So the the escalation, yeah, right? So the escalation of force against the human psyche is at an alarming rate. Um, So an AI is this, this chat GPT thing is a tipping point, clearly, but not only do I think we need to have conversations with our children have conversations. And, and I do agree. I think it needs to be part of the curriculum, just like maths and, and language. Right. Yeah. But I think also we need to ask ourselves if we're going to do this, let's set them up for the, for generations. Right. And say, okay, you know, these are things and how do you approach it? Right. Because one of the things I'm concerned with is we've been talking about making better, more complex passwords forever you know, and it's not working. You know, we've been talking about fishing and it's not working. I holistically believe that the greatest investment that you can you have in cybersecurity is sitting right there in front of you and it's called your employees. You just have to find a more human way to tap into that community. And we're putting a lot of energy into adults where I think I think as a society we're going to get very far in putting that energy into children. And if I may be so bold is maybe that brings us full circle of background to this mental health because the technology space, in my opinion, again, you said very clearly it affects all walks of life. Not unique to cyber, of course, or IT, but within the context of IT, I don't see it getting better. Yeah, I just don't. I see the pressures continue to get worse and worse and worse. And I think you said very, very accurately is you and I, we were allowed to grow up with it. We were pre-internet pre-computer in some case, certainly pre-PC, right? Yeah. So we kind of cheated the system. We've seen the whole thing, right? But um, anyway, I think uh, I could go on for days about people and education. And I think it's really interesting. That's where you went and I could not possibly agree with you more. And it's not surprising that uh, Dr. Chase Cunningham mentioned that as well because I learned yesterday. He actually wrote you know, not only a bunch of books, but also did some uh, work around comics around uh yeah. Psy ninja i think it's what it's called Psy- yeah. yeah i pronounce that correctly yeah. so super super cool super cool guy and uh he's already in that space as well so i think is um i think what i would ask you is let's let's touch a little bit on because I'm, I'm aware we're getting close to sort of the hour mark but i wanted to ask you what would you advise somebody getting into cyber today? What does that look like? I know we've been talking about mental health and kind of painting this picture. How much does that play into advising people? If somebody wants you to get into it, what is like your top three thoughts that come to mind? Like how would you advise them?
0: Um, God, that's a difficult question.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. It is. <laughs>
0: Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> number one is don't do it for the money. Do it. Do. Mm. I got taught at a very young age by a very good um, manager or leader of mine. And he basically said to me, you spend an awful lot of time at work. Do something you love, because no matter how much money they pay you, if you hate getting out of bed every day in the morning, it's not worth it. Um, so, so that's my advice. Do, do something you really enjoy doing. I guess the second piece of advice kind of uh, evolves from that. It's pick an area. Cyber, we talk about cyber as if it's one thing. Um, <laughs> it's not one thing. I mean, for, no. for us, with with decades of experience, we. I'm not an expert in any cyber field particularly. I've just been around long enough to have seen all these things evolve. But pick an area that you want to be good at are you a pen tester are you a sock analyst what is it you want to do is it more business focused kind of cyber what area because i don't think you can ever be a master of all of those things luckily enough for us we like i said we evolved with technology so we got to learn maybe ms mail or lotus notes and then something else came along and we got to know that so we kind of went from one thing to the next but pick something that you can be that you can do Um, and you enjoy and then don't be too concerned if it doesn't work out is my last piece of advice, (laughs) like I came out of university with not a clue what I wanted to do. I ended up playing games because I was quite good at it. And then that evolved into it and, and then evolved more into security. Don't set your mind on something too strongly because you don't want to be too disappointed if you don't achieve that exact goal. And that's difficult because I've said in my earlier statement, do something you love. That doesn't mean to say you're going to be good at it because you love it. Um,
1: (laughs) I think um, we all have a few of those stories. (laughs) yeah.
0: And and I guess my last bit of advice is, is don't give up. I mean, I see a lot of people trying to get into cyber and getting a lot of no's. Um, I think the market is going to have to change. I see a lot of jobs being advertised as entry level, but pretty much needing like five to 10 years experience. Well, that's not entry level, is it? I mean, to me, entry mm. level is, you know, a, a PC looks like the rest you can teach. Um, try and stay positive and and don't give up, because if you go to an interview with a negative attitude, it's not going to go that well. People... I mean, funnily enough, and I'll tell you one more story, is I spent a long, long time in in a pretty dark place in the last five years. I had some stuff going on personally. I had some stuff going on at work, and I was trying to get out of where I was working for for certain reasons, and I swear everybody that interviewed me could tell that I was desperate to get out, Hmm. and then somebody else came in, put their arm around me. It turned around at that company, and everything was going great. The next interview, I got the job. Because I didn't want to, funnily enough, didn't actually want to particularly leave at that point. Um, so, so for me, it's all about, I, I've hired a lot of people in my career. No doubt you've interviewed a lot of people. I always hired based on someone's attitude and work ethic. The rest I felt I could teach them.
1: It, it's amazing how that, shall we say, passion, grit, attitude, it can pull you through anything. Yeah. Right. It can get you through anything. And you said something that really resonates with me. Oh, it's by the way, this has been amazing. Um, But early on, you said, you know, the the mind is very powerful. And, you know, I I certainly learned very, very early that you put your mind to it, your body will follow your things will follow from it, right And your attitude. And it projects on other people. And we were saying earlier, humans are humans. And we're very good at detecting, you know, maybe some cases not so good, but maybe certainly subliminally when people are struggling and you know if you're going through an interview you really want somebody has that work ethic because if you you take somebody good and make them great if they want to be great you know, yep. you can help that person kind of thing um gosh i think honestly jay we have to have another we got to do this again because i really really want to talk about your view of threats especially and how they've evolved um and i really really want to kind of I really want to really want to have some time about zero trust and I want to have a, a non-technical sort of a ethereal conversation about it, as well as getting tightly with, um, how, uh, you see it kind of evolving. I mean, yeah. are we going to get there kind of thing? But man, I just, um, I gotta say, I know we haven't, we we've just kind of met in the big scope of things, man, but I just find you just the most fascinating and fantastic guy. I love talking to you about this kind of stuff and uh, for the record, for everybody listening out there, one, I kind of forgot we were recording. I'm just enjoying the conversation. <laughs> Two, um, you really need to listen to everything that he's done, especially with Jay and, and the um, and the Edge podcast. It's pretty awesome. And uh, stay up on stuff that he's putting up on LinkedIn. It's just fantastic. Jay, it's been amazing having you, man. Absolutely amazing.
0: No, I, I to be honest, I really appreciate it. Again, I was looking at the clock thinking, oh, I've been talking too much. So I apologize. I, I, I ramble on, but I if it's a topic which this is that I'm passionate about and and you're a great person to speak to. I mean, I remember the first time I spoke to you, we talked for like an hour and I'd never spoken to you before. So I'd be more than happy to come back. I've got zero trust is a real passion of mine. And I kind of fell in Mm -hmm. by accident without realizing it was called zero trust until I dug quite deeply into it. (laughs) Um, But a bit like you, we we've evolved in security. So I was, doing zero trust type stuff without realizing yep. what it was labeled. So I'd love to come back. It's been a great conversation and I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. And, and I just really appreciate that we were able to really dive a lot deeper into the mental health generally and also within the scope of cybersecurity because I do believe it's absolutely critically important.
0: Yeah.
1: And um and I think this is a the very special episode because I don't know if this is discussed enough and you and I both have been intimately exposed uh in all aspects of where mental health or challenges the people have had, you know, potentially could have had detriment- detrimental effect and there's people yeah. out there that I think are struggling to this day within IT and also within, you know, cybersecurity. So, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you again very much and thank you to everybody listening and we'll see you next time on Security Bites.